Hey, Bokker Tov. Um, so today's app officially is Chavav, but we are going to, we're, we're about an Amud behind. We pick up at the bottom of Chavay Madala. And we talked about um, various things people can do, you know, in Shul. Um, we sort of have been moving around issues of reading the Megillah, so Kriyatas Torah is a central theme, but we've been discussing other issues as well, Birchas Koranim, um, the sort of who gets various kibudim, um, various things people can do during davening, which would be inappropriate in terms of dress and words. Um, but the last part of the last Mishnah was about inappropriate ways to translate certain verses, to do the Targum. And this Mishnah is going to continue on the focus of reading and Targum. So let's take a look. The story of Reuven sleeping with, uh, you know, with uh, Bilhah is read and not, but not translated uh, because we don't want, well, we'll see why, but, you know, it's, it's a shameful thing and we're concerned for Reuven's honor. Masa um, Tamar. All right, so the Gemara will discuss exactly what the choices were. Masa Tamar Nikra Umitar Game. The story with Tamar and Yehuda is read and translated because even though it starts off bad, Yehuda owns up and so on. Masa Egel Harishon Nikra Umitar Game. The story of the first Egel. You see, you didn't realize there were two Egels. To be the first story of the Egel is read and translated. Vahasheni the second Nikra Velomitar Game read and not translated. What's the first? What's the second? We'll talk about that. Birchas Kohanim, the brach of the Kohanim, Masa David Amnon, and now if you're into the Haftorahs, the story of David and Amnon, right, and how Amnon with, uh, you know, Tamar, the sister, and the rape, and all of that, yeah, it's not our Haftorah, but apparently maybe sometimes they would read it, again, they didn't have everything totally fixed, Nikriim the Lomitargimim, are read and not, and not translated, again, that's, by the way, interesting the way it joins those two together, one from the Torah and one from the, the, the Nevi'im, until now each one had been dealt with individually. And it's the same halacha, read and not translated. Okay, so those are very curious. David and Amnon, you can imagine why. Birchus Kohanim is harder to understand. Um, so they're also not uh, excluded. Okay? It is Amnon and Tamar. It is Amnon and Tamar. Okay? You do not have a Haftorah in Maser Merkava, the beginning of Yechezkel, um, right? Because it's a type of divine mysteries. Um, Rabbi Yehuda Matir, Rabbi Yehuda allows it. Presumably, regardless of whether you're going to be Matar game or not, you just shouldn't read it at all. Maybe it's too dangerous. And Rabbi Yehuda isn't bothered. You look at Tosu says, the Kaimalank Rabbi Yehuda, as we know, when we do on Shavuot morning. My explanation usually is that if you stayed up all night learning, everybody's asleep for the Haftorah anyway, so it doesn't matter. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Ein Yerushalayim, you don't have the Haftorah of uh, inform Jerusalem of all of its sins that's inappropriate to read as a Haftarah again there are brachos and qualos in the Torah you know but we don't take a Haftarah that is so much about a bad and of course you can say well what do you mean I mean the stuff like leading up to Tisha B'Av and so on but the as we'll see in the Gemara it more has to do with the fact that like you're setting up yourself the reader of the Haftarah as the one that I'm going to tell you what your sins are somehow it has to do with the phrasing as well not just a more sort of you know the words of the Navi to uh, the Jewish people okay again the fact that it has to tell you things you're not allowed to do the Haftorah reflects a reality that there was more choice available these things were not exactly fixed let's take a look at the Gemara um um some things you read and, cram, and do targum, almost everything. Some things you read, you'll, you'll be prepared to read, but not to provide the targum for. And some things you will, you won't, you won't even read. Okay. And elu The following are read and translated. I mean, of course, 
the standard is everything, but the following are things you might have imagined are problematic, and nevertheless we're going to say you do the reading with the targum. Um, by the way, this idea that you might read it but not do the targum, because it's okay for some people to hear it, but you don't want necessarily the wide audience here that they might somehow, you know, might be embarrassing or they might misunderstand it. You know, it sort of like reflects what you find sometimes today in these like English halachic handbooks mm-hmm. where you have certain things in the English and then you have like in the footnotes you have, uh, you know, some more leniencies and other discussion that you don't want to present in English. It doesn't work when you're trying to publish one in Israel and everybody understands the Hebrew in the footnotes. Okay, but the idea of what things are in translation and what things are not in translation. So the Gemara says like this. So the following you read and translate, even though you might have imagined they would be problematic. Masagracious. Um, so the bet lamatet akan, belat akan nashpa, those are going to be the Rosh Hashanah. The first one is the bet. Bracious. Nikro metargain. Pita, obviously, why shouldn't you read Bracious? No. You're going to come to ask about the mysteries of creation. What's above? What's below? You know, what exists outside of the universe? What happened before the universe was created? What will happen afterwards? You'll ask these deep sort of philosophical or metaphysical questions and it won't be sort of healthy for your religious life. Kamash Malan, that we're not so concerned. I mean, you're not supposed to explore them, which we'll learn in Chagiga, but the fact that you'll be a little curious, we're not afraid it's going to go anywhere, that'll be a problem. Masa Lot, the story with Lot and his two daughters, even though there was obviously a whole result of incest there. Pisa, obviously. No, we're not concerned that it's embarrassing for Lot, because, you know, he wasn't Jewish, but maybe it's embarrassing for Avram, I mean, this whole one that he prayed for and his relative and got saved on account of him, and then look what happened. Kamash Malon, that it's not, doesn't reflect badly on Avram. Or, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a problem, but obviously the importance of transmitting the story over ways. Um, you know, Mazatan, it's, got, it's quite fascinating, of course, because, you know, it's sort of like, it's like, it's a little bit, you know, uh, like, God, you know, if the Torah is from God, then God wanted the people to know it. But here we are, and we're sort of deciding there's some people who can know it and some people who can't know it. Like, you know, sometimes when they print nowadays certain responsa of people and, like, his family decides they're not going to include certain other responsa because they don't think it's, like, you know, it's appropriate for everybody to, to sort of, to, you know, when he deals with a sensitive issue or maybe a little too progressive for the family or whatever it is. The question is, like, yeah, but he felt it was appropriate to write that for everybody to know it. So you have to sort of think that it's a little theologically interesting that the rabbis are saying, this might be in the Torah, but we know it's not necessarily appropriate for everybody to know about it. Um, okay, so the Gemara continues. Masa Tamar game. Destroyed Yehuda and Tamar. Pita obvious. Now, maybe it's not obvious, you know. It's a whole embarrassing thing that led up to it. You know, he was looking for a prostitute. So, maybe we should try to protect Yehuda's honor. Actually, it winds up being praiseworthy of him. The Odi, that he wound up admitting to what he had done wrong, you know. So he sinned. Fine, that's embarrassing. But the fact that he was model of Kula and admitting that's obviously a much greater point the first story of the Egel is read and translated again well, so, okay, I'll tell you what the second one is Pshita obviously maybe we wanted to protect the honor of the Jewish people that they did this terrible sin and we're going to read about it Kamash Malan so teaches us that we're not concerned why not it's good the people should be embarrassed because their embarrassment is a little bit of a kapara like the idea that they suffer again they're not alive exactly right now to suffer but you know we representing them are suffering that serves as something of a kapara interesting if you say that you could say that by all the other stuff as well but obviously this is a very weighty sin we 
just had Tishabov, you know, um, which well, that was the Maraglim, but you have these weighty sins that lead, like are go through the generations and maybe this one needs like some type of additional kapara. Again, it's fascinating. It's not like, well, maybe there's other lessons to learn from it even though, but I get, you know, maybe that's whatever, even though it is embarrassing for them. I mean, how are we supposed to actually, what, you want, you, we want to learn the whole story of, uh, uh, of, uh, of, you know, of Shemot and the Exodus or whatever and not have Egal as a part of that story? But anyway, so it's exactly, it's a little funny exactly sort of what the Gemara considers what the Havamin is were and what the trade-offs are. Now, what's the first Egal as opposed to the second? You know what, let me get, we'll get to the second one and then I'll discuss what it means by the first story and the second. Let's keep on reading. So the Gemara says like this, um, okay, the Kualos and the Brachot, um, you know, are, um, um, are read and translated. So the Gemara says Pshita, yeah, I presumably. Um, the Gemara says Pshita, or, you know, uh, whatever, Kitisa. So the Gemara says Pshita, obviously. Uh, maybe the sort of the, um, you know, the spirit of the, of the community will be uh, um, despaired, or uh, how does it translate, Faiga? Would be, um, uh, not despaired exactly, but um, despondent, what? What did it say? No, like the fog, like yeah, disheartened. Okay, maybe they'll be disheartened. Like, oh my God, all this terrible stuff is going to happen to us. Um, so, Kamash Milan, that we're not concerned about that. Why, why aren't we concerned about that again? Maybe it's good. It'll keep you to doing the right things. You won't keep you to do. You, you won't lead to do the mitzvahs. Okay. Um, Rashi had a different girsa, which is maybe we're afraid people will do it from ava yira. They'll do it exactly. They'll do it out of fear of the reward and punishment. Okay. As far as the the warnings and the punishments I mean that's like half of the Torah but the, the punishments that you get for doing wrong things you're going to translate that Pshita obviously no maybe they're only going to do it because they're afraid they'll be punished so maybe you should just read the mitzvot we're going to edit God's Torah right so much of the Torah is do this or you'll get punished right especially especially in um, Devarim but we're going to sort of try to uh, not translate that so um, massage the message a little bit Kamash Malon that we're not going to do that again I just see the theological Havaminas here as fascinating and they're not only Havaminas because when we get to things we're not the target and we actually are making certain choices Masa, um, now, of course, you always say, you know, the people on a different madrega than they were when the Torah was given and so on. But some of these things aren't about the people's madrega. Here, if anything, what we're saying that... We, anyway, it's, it's fascinating. Masa Amnon v'tamar nikur metargeim. The story of Amnon and Tamar. Now, Zogmar will discuss that. So you translate. Masa Avshalom. Again, all these stories in David's families. Nikur metargeim. Pshita, obviously. Maldotem alechush v'yikari to David. Let's be concerned of David's honor. That, although, you know, bad things in the family doesn't reflect good on the father Kamash Malan that now doesn't tell you Kamash Malan why that way but again presumably because it's not directly about David Masa Pilegesh Begiva the story about Pilegesh Begiva Nikra Mitargain you translate Pshita obviously no Maudetema Lechish Rechvodu de Binyamin the honor of Shevet Binyamin Kamash Malan that it really reflects more on the particular individuals not on the whole Shevet you know again in a way this seems again I say like a little funny but you know you have you have this even in contemporary scholarly debate you know when like Steinsaltz wrote his book on biblical figures that was called biblical 
figures, you know, he got put in Chayim by Rav Shach because he described them as human beings, you know, and he didn't describe them, he described them closer to the Pshat of the Psukim and not in the more angelic terms, you know, per- perfect, perfect terms that you find in certain Midrashim. How much do people learn better from hearing about people's failings and how much is that sort of the message of the Torah and how much if we try to cover all up and make them feel like, seem, seem like perfect, is that better for like pedagogical and, edu- you know, and, mo- and mo- moral education? So that maybe is something here, although the Gemara doesn't speak so much from the pedagogy perspective as much as just protecting people's honors. Hodat Yerushalayim is Tovateha, that is um, the, uh, what we had in our Mishnah. Nikra Umitargain is read and, re- and translated. Pita obvious. I mean, you know, it's one of those many uh, Nevi'im that are castigating uh, the Jewish people. No, Lafukim Rabbi Eliezer, to exclude the position of Rabbi Eliezer, Detanya, and now we'll, get, we'll see what the issue was with this. Master by the Mechel, Shahayakar, the Malam Rabbi Eliezer, the person was reading above Rabbi Eliezer. It's interesting, you're, you're gravely Sneateva, and he was reading above, right? So, question about being on type of some bima when you're reading the Torah, um, it seems to be. Hodat Yerushalayim et Tawafateha. Amalo, he said to him, Ashatab Bodek Betoi, vote Yerushalayim, by saying, let Jerusalem know its sins, like you're positioning yourself as if, you know, although you're reading the Navi, but like as if speaking in God's, in God's name and you're the one being addressed so you're here to be to inspect Jerusalem and to you know to, to inform them of their sins you're putting yourself over the people and saying I'm going to let you know all of your sins so hey while you're busy checking out the sins of Jerusalem go, go check out your, your mother's sins like <laughs> very fascinating response uh, they searched after him and they found that actually he had some questionable genealogy so did Rabbi Eliezer know that? And he was making that point? Did he just say it as a type of a, as, as a retort? And it wound up that, you know, that it wound up being true even though he wasn't aware of it? But the basic point is, who are you to put yourself, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Who are you to put yourself in a position where you're sort of, again, I think it's the particular language. We read a lot of Naveen that say, let's come, you know, let's come and you know, speak about the people's sins, but it's Hoda. Like, you're the one that's going to be standing over Jerusalem and telling you that it's sin. Why is it Matzah Lister? No, meaning we don't do it. Yeah, that was his opinion. He got upset right. about it. All right, whatever it was. Anyway, so, okay, the Eilu Nikrin Veloma Targumin, the following are read and not translated. Rav Dan is the Russian table. Was that a voluntary it seems to be, right? That's the whole fact that you have to say certain things you do as Haftarot and certain certain things you don't, right? So it seems that, like I was saying before, that it's not fixed what the Haftarot were, right? Or maybe there were different different traditions in different communities. Maybe it was all, there was a lot of, like, latitude, you know. It's not exactly clear the degree of flux that was in place. Um, now, of course, it's interesting, right, because Rabbi Eliezer saying you don't even read it, and we go to the opposite extreme, you read it and you translate it. The Eilu Loma Targum, we're going to get to the Ego. You read the following, but you don't translate. Maaseb Uvein, Nikrava Loma Targum. Maaseb Rebbe Eliezer, there was a service with Rebbe Eliezer ben Gamliel, Shahalach Lichvol, he went to the place of Lichvol. Did I skip a line? Maaseb Rebbe Chanina ben Gamliel, excuse me. Shahalach Lichvol. Vahayakare Chazan Knesset, and the Chazan was reading. Interesting that it assigns this to the Chazan, right? Because the Chazan is... Often the person who's more like the Gabai. Anyway, here it has him as the reader. What is it? Yisrael, Yaakov, 
So it says, So Rabbi Yechanina ben Gamliel said to the Maturgaman, not to the reader, you're allowed to read it. He said to him, to read it, right? right? Yeah, you do read it. He said either Hasek, stop, or the question is that word is in there. Only read the second. Only read the second half of the verse. Just say, Don't write, and the Chachamim praised Rabbi Hanina ben Gamliel. Oh, that was great that you stopped the Matorgamon. Again, indicating that there might have been some, it, this wasn't widespread, this, this, these, these practices of not doing the Tirgum, or they hadn't yet been established yet, or again, points that I've made, which is, it's the rabbis visiting shuls, the rabbis weren't the authorities in the shuls, so maybe they're trying to have their positions having some influence in the shul. Who were the Chachamim? Were the Chachamim like the local sages there? And here was a visiting rabbi who more came from this tradition. Anyway, Masa Ego Hashenini Kravalomitar game. So now we're going to get to the second story of the Ego, which is not translated. What do you mean the first and the second? So Ezu Masa Ego Hasheni, what's the story of the second Ego mean? Vayomer Moshe Ad Vayar Moshe. So so from Vayomer Moshe until Vayar Moshe. So what is this exactly? So Rashi says it means that you don't read the part where Moshe says to Aaron, or Aaron says you know that that uh, you read the part where Moshe says where the Torah says about you know what happened when it's describing the events but the, the second story is the retelling of the events when uh, Moshe says to Aaron what did the people do to you and he says you know about what is it what is it but you don't want to read that because Ayetzeha Ego Azem means it sounds like there was some power to it that it actually came out on its own. That So maybe it suggests that there was some actual power, you know, independent type of divine power to the Ego. Tosvos has a different story, a different version. If you look at Tosvos, he says, My Seiko Hasheni Nikra Velomet HaGeim Pirish Rashi Shelo Yomu Mamoshes HaYabo Midkamer Aaron Vayetzeha Ego Hazeh the Kajat of Yushami, and he quotes Yushami, and he says like this. He says, It's four lines from the end of Tosu, starting line touch with Yushami. Fascinating, right? If an individual is embarrassed in private, it's one thing. Or if the whole community is embarrassed in front of the whole community, it's also one thing. It's all right. But the worst thing is you're an individual and your shame is being exposed in the larger community. So, it's when Moshe berates Aaron, right? It says, and that what you have done to them, that's going to come, you know, they're going to, it's going to be an embarrassment for them for, you know, in, you know, in, 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 um, in future generations. So according to them, what's cut out is not the problem of Aaron saying, but you say, it's Moshe saying, like when Moshe is castigating him in a sense of like a public castigation, and he is being sort of the individual in front of, like in the larger context of the whole Tzibur, although that is the sort of embarrassment that we're trying to save Aaron from. Yes. Yeah. First of all, Mas Aaron and Tamar and Yukon targeting, which is Yachid now mentioned in the Tzibur, but we're still doing that. So well, but that wasn't people whose honors we were so focused on protecting. Okay, but then the other thing is, why can't we glossed over, you know, Yeah, it's a lot of good stories. Like, which other ones we're trying to protect? I mean, the Torah has a lot of troubling stories in it, which is just, it's part of the power of the Torah. So I don't know the answer to that. Uh, let's go back to the Gemara. Um, okay. Um, so, 
Tanya, we turn to Bryce. Rabbi Shimon Elazar Omer, a person should always be careful in how you respond, maybe particularly when you're being attacked, you know, or, 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 or questioned, you know, exactly how you're going to respond. So, because of the, in the way that Aaron responded to Moshe, that gave a license for those that were sort of the skeptics, the questioners, to, uh, to uh, you know, uh, to, to cast off from themselves the divine yoke, you know, to, to be heretical. Sounds like the ego came out all by itself, which is why Rashi says reasonably that that's why we're not metargeim is because of that pasuk. Okay, Birchas Akronim Nikrim Velo Metargeim. This has got to be the most bizarre one. Birchas Akronim, which they would do on a daily basis in the Beit Knesset, you would not do the Tirgum. What's the matter with the Targum? It's a wonderful bracha. My time, Mishum Dechsiv Yisa. And the whole idea of Nesiyat Panim, right? What's a judge? The judge is Asher Lo Yisa Panim Beloikach Shochad is God, right? Like the whole prohibition about giving, showing special favor. So here we say that God shows special favor to Israel. It seems that God is not playing fair and not being objective, and that's something that you know could be, uh, you know, could, people could find problematic. Of course, you know, generally Jews, had, Jews didn't have that. Didn't usually until like the modern era have a problem with sort of Ansikulam particularism and the special favor or whatever but nevertheless it would raise um, certain questions especially if you know the Torah says that you're not supposed to be no say panim okay maybe you mean maybe because it's translated there'll be people yeah. that are not so from or not no. so maybe more marginal people that's an interesting question which maybe gets to the issue I was raising in terms of sort of, of second guessing God in terms of what are you translating that maybe you know the more seriously committed ones knew the Hebrew and this was talking about the more marginal ones. I have no idea if that's historically accurate or not. I understand. I understand. It's a really interesting question. Like, who knew, who was able to understand biblical Hebrew and who was really not? Now, clearly, part of the answer is Hellenized Jews, right? The Hellenized Jews, you know, but of course, do they understand Aramaic or do they understand Greek? So I don't know which is the class of people that understood Aramaic and didn't understand the biblical Hebrew. That would be like a really interesting thing to, 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 to uh, research. Okay. Ma'asad David Amnon lo nikrim lo I mean, the story of David Amnon, you don't read it. But just the story of Amnon, you read and you translate. Presumably, it's the same story. You don't read the verses that identify him as David's son, Amnon ben David. You want to protect David's honor, and you even skip over those verses because it's not just you don't translate them, you don't read them, but the ones that just speak about Amnon. So it's vaguely we know uh, exactly. It's less. It's it's less of an issue of David's honor. Now, this is, again, a fascinating idea of, you know, changing, not literally changing, but changing at least the way people hear it, and it's read, the biblical text. Biblical verses that are written lignai, now, that doesn't mean, like, insulting, but it means almost like the language is offensive. It doesn't just mean it says bad things, or terrible things that are says in the Klolot, but actually offensive language, you read it in more euphemistic terms. Quite fascinating when you realize that just yesterday, right, on yesterday's dot, was the whole point about not giving a euphemistic translation of certain verses that is against the halacha. But this isn't halacha, and this is more or less the same word, except it's slightly toned down. So let's take a look. Let's take a look. Which means to sleep with 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 Yisagelna, excuse me, which means to sleep, but it's a very crass way of saying to sleep. And you read it Yishkavena to lie with, as opposed to other verbs that might you know say the same thing in a much crasser way. 
Ba'afolim, God should smite you Ba'afolim, which is a type of, um, you know, uh, of, of uh, what do you, what, what is it? Hemorrhoids. Hemorrhoids, thank you. Okay, so, but it refers to, obviously, the anus and so on in a very crass way. And you write Ba'chorim, which refers to it in a slightly more del- delicate way. And that's what we do, actually, when we read those Psukim. Okay, so those are the two that are in the Torah. Here are some that are not in the Torah. Chiryonim, so Chiryonim, which means sort of also their uh, excrement, but in a sort of crass way. And you read Divyonim, like their flow, okay, of the uh, birds and whatever. They're talking about, you know, bird excrement. Yeah, we're worried about the crass word, Michael. There are curse words like this, okay? We're worried about the crassness of the word, not about the bad thing it's describing. Okay, right. So to eat their Chorehem, excrement. So he showed that to drink the, oh, it's a funny word, water of their teeth. Teeth here means, Rashi says it means sort of like their uh, intestines, although, you know, maybe, um, so we read it, lechowet so atam, right? That would be like excrement. It wouldn't be such crass words. We stote at me me raglehem, right? Their leg water, which is again clearly a euphemism, but as opposed to yesterday's euphemisms, it's a euphemism that it's clear what it means. It's just a more delicate turn. The machraot, again, the word machraot is again like excrement, what? means loose stools. Loose stools, right? I said uh, intestine. Right, but then it's funny that may, because may raglayan usually means urine, so actually it is funny that translation. It's supported by the three teeth-like glands. Okay, fine. Lemachraot, again, a word of excrement. Lemotsaot, the things that they, excre- you know, you know uh, um, excrete. So again, that's actually the word excrement, right? Motsa, to excrete. Um, okay. Rabbi Yoshua ben Karcha Omer, Lemachraot Kishman. No, that you actually read it the way it is. Because it's referring to, to, to idols. And therefore, we can say curse words in regards to idolatry. We can say those bad words. Amar of Nachman, said of Nachman, Kowit Sanusa Surah, any type of mocking is forbidden. Barmiwit Sanusa Davos Kulchan, except when it comes in the context of idolatry, right? Which is a, true, like a way, you know, a way to attack something is like, is, you know, by making fun of it and mocking it is a, is a very powerful way of, un, of, of undermining it. Deshaya is formidable. Dechsiv, Kara Bal Karas Nevo, so bow down, bow, uh, will not rise. Uh, how do they translate this? I'm sorry. Nevo splashes. Nevo splashes. Okay, bows down and splashes. Exceed. Karsu karu yachtav. They have bowed down and they have fallen together. Lo yachlu They could not. They, they, they were not able to escape masa the um, burden. So they, get, they cannot deliver the burden. Oh, cannot deliver the burden, which means like what? They can't excrete. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so basically, it's saying, look, you know, it's it's it's, it's mocking them. It's like they say, oh, you know, they can't even go to the bathroom, these idols. All right. Reb Yanai Omer Mehacha, La'agalot Beit Aven, Yaguru, Shachain Shamron, for the calves of Beit Aven will fear um, the dwellers of Shamron, Ki Avel Alav Amo, because the nation is mourning over it, Ukmarav Alav Yagilu, and the, uh, the, uh, the, its priests will rejoice, Al Kvodo, on its Kvodo. Kigalami Menu, well, no, Yagilu doesn't mean rejoice, I mean, it does mean rejoice, but it doesn't make sense in this context. How do they translate that? Right? The people mourn over it, and likewise, the priests who had rejoiced. Oh, had rejoiced. Okay. And the peace who had rejoiced were more an al kvodo kigala for its honor that it has been exiled, Mimenu. Al tikri kvodo, do not read its honor, el its weight, which maybe again here means like its excrement or something like that. Okay. So anyway, again, that's not a proof 
that you're allowed to make fun because it's only being made fun not in the verse but the way he's, trans- he's reading the verse. Anyway. can say to a non-Jew or let's be more specific an idol worshiper take your idol and stick it up your shintaf. Okay, I think you can figure out what that means. Okay? So, shalom. Amarav Ashi, Haiman Desani Shmuane, somebody who is, has a bad reputation, Shari Lei Zuye Begimel Shin. You can, you can sort of, uh, uh, insult him, embarrass him with Gimel Shin. Now, what exactly Gimel Shin is not clear. Rashi says it means maybe saying like his mother was a prostitute or something. Again, this issue about, about talking about people's mothers. Um, so Haiman Deshaper Shmuane, and somebody has a good, now, which is a little bit funny because just somebody has a bad reputation doesn't mean he actually did something bad. You know, unless it means that he has an earned bad reputation. Um, but again, why we're bringing in the mother is not clear. Um, somebody who has a good reputation, Shari Lushvuche, you are allowed to praise him. Well, that's not a Kiddush. Umanda Shavche, and the one who praises him, Yanuchlo Brachos Arosho, even the person who praises him should be blessed. So again, so they're filling in this idea here of our responsibility in terms of how we, you know, I think it echoes this whole idea of nikra umatar game, that you can't just say, oh, you know, facts are facts and so on. It's our responsibility. Do we tell things over, not tell things over? How, what type of a frame do we put it on? What type of a way do we, you know, sort of position them, talk about them, and so on. So here's sort of translating in from the verses to our interaction with other people, raises interesting questions, Russian hara, public embarrassment, and so on, which the Gemara is not exploring. So that is the end of that parak, which got started us with the ways to read the Megillah, but really focused a lot on reading of the Torah, reading of the Haftarah, Targum, and other types of things that were done in Shul. Now we get to the last parak, which gets us to actually the Beit Knesset itself, a very, uh, a very interesting uh, parak about the whole nature of Kedushat Beit HaKnesset. Again, fascinating that the riff from the Rambam and other Rishonim a number of them, had the fourth parak as the third, and I don't understand at all what the sort of... Uh, flow would be from talking about the way you read the Megillah to the Kedusha of the Beit Knesset and then going back to the way you read the Megillah. So this order makes a lot more sense, although we should again note that some many Rishonim have this parak as the third parak. Let's take a look. But here the flow makes a lot of sense. If the people of the city sold the city square, and as we remember from Ta'anit, they would go into the city square to do these uh, public prayers on the fast days. So usually, presumably, it would be used for other types of, you know, non-religious purposes, but every now and then you'd use it for a public religious gathering. So the assumption here is that it has a certain level of Kiddushah. So in that case, loking the Dhamma of Beit HaKnesset, you can use the money to go up in Kiddushah. You can buy a synagogue, which obviously is a place that's dedicated for Tifila. Beit HaKnesset, if you sold the Beit HaKnesset, loking Teva, you can go ahead and buy the, uh, the, the Bima, you know, where you're going to put the Torah down on, which is a higher level of Kedusha. So there's a big question here. What do you do with the place itself? If you sell the show, can you use the show for any purpose? This is just saying, what do you do with the money, right? So the, that's going to be a whole other question about what do you do with the actual show that you sold? What type can the person who buys it, you know, what types of things can they use it from? I mean, there's all these fascinating halakhic questions. Like you go into, like, you know, a lot of places, a lot of shows, you could see, oh, this used to be a movie theater or this used to be a church. Right, right that's the other question. Can you use a church? And really then, and then, though, no? Yeah, but is it appropriate? And so on. And if you, something used to be, and when the place actually has to leave a show because it's falling down, the neighborhood has changed, whatever the issue is, the Jews have moved elsewhere, right? 
who can you sell it to? Right? Can you sell it to be knocked down and something else be rebuilt? Can you sell it to a church? What do you, you know, if they want to use it often, it's usable for, you know, the same type of thing, house of worship, you know, it makes, you know, usable by somebody of a different faith. So these are very important questions. So that's, right, they might have the same rules. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, that's going to be a second, a later discussion. What can you use it for? Although the Gemara definitely will get introduced that earlier on as well. But the focus here is not what can you use it for, but what can you do with the funds? And the funds can only be reused for something of a higher purpose. Now, I want to say the end of the mission will say they can't be used for a lower purpose, which leaves, of course, the obvious question about the same purpose. Sell one soul to buy another soul. Sell one thing to buy another thing, which fascinatingly is not discussed in the mission, not even directly addressed in the Gemara. Okay, but let's take a look at that. What does it mean to sell the public um, you mean who would own it? Um, yes, I mean, there, I mean, you know, you have in the Gemara, particularly for thinking about like towns and villages and not cities, because let's remember also that Ear is a town, not a city. A city is like a cross, um, that you would have like even private ownerships of, of towns, like a, one person, like you might rent out the whole thing. I mean, you sort of had that in feudal society, right? That somebody like, you know, so that you actually would have, so I, 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 I do wonder, maybe it means, I don't know, some developer wants to go ahead and build something in the square. They're selling it. Oh, no, no but, but I'm saying, but it's possible to think of a, of a pro- that's true, meaning you could, the, you could have a private ownership for a whole town, but you could also have, like, I, I assumed your question was, like, what would an, what would, well, okay, anyway, an individual could buy, let, let me then take this up again, and somebody could buy the public square, right, and want to put up a house there, right, want to develop it, so what exactly was the question? What is the, I'm trying to understand what is the public square, and it feels like it's privatization. Right, I think that's <laughs> I think that is what the standard usage would be. I mean, you have you been to the places where they have these public squares, like these palazzios, right, and whatever, you know, no? You know what I'm talking about? Like in Italy or whatever, they have these, like, uh, that they're made, Stavka for, I mean, it's not a park, it's like a square for, as a, as a place for people to gather, right? I, I'm not familiar with cases where the public square is sold for, for private, private purposes. Uh-huh. I'm more right. familiar with cases where the public square is a requirement for private development. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes, it does seem like it's privatization. Wait, okay. They yes. Probably got a lot more money from selling a, a shul than just to buy a table. So what do you do? With the okay. Right so that's going to we're going to get to that in the mission. You haven't okay. seen the new table. <laughs> okay. So beta at teva. Teva must not pay If you sell the bima, you can use it to buy the things that you wrap the safer Torah in. Um, so because that's a higher kedusha because it's more connected to the safer Torah. Matpechot. If you sell the matpechot, you can actually buy. Now this svarim here said this way means the sifrei tanach or nach, but not the sefer Torah itself. But that's kisei kodesh. No svarim looking Torah. And if you sell the sifrei nach, you can use it to buy a sefer Torah. So that's the hierarchy. Now I should say, where does the kedusha derive from the kedushat um, beit knesset at all? Is a very important discussion in the Rishonim. From our Mishnah, a not unreasonable read would be that the Kedusha all derives from the Sefer Torah. That everything here has a degree of Kedusha because of its connection to the Sefer Torah. Right? So the things you wrap the Sefer Torah in, the things you put the Sefer Torah on, the house, 
that stores the bima with the Sefer Torah is in and so on. It's all sort of expanding circles. And the Rechov, you would bring the Sefer Torah out to the Rechov. So a, so a very reasonable read here is that this is all a function of the intrinsic Kedusha of the Sefer Torah. But I will tell you at the outset that there are at least two or three other interpretations of the Rishonim. The Ramban understands that the Kedusha of a base Knesset, some of these things about the table, whatever, is about the Sefer Torah. He understands that the Kedusha of a base Knesset is because it's a Tashmishe Mitzvah. He basically says it is like a Lulav. You use a Lulav to do the Mitzvah of shaking a Lulav, and use a Shofar to do the Mitzvah of blowing the Shofar, and use a Shul to do the Mitzvah of... Davening. Davening. Davening is what he says. So for he, he says the Beit Knesset is not about the Sefer Torah. It is a Tashmishe Mitzvah for a, an object, as it were, that you use for Tefillah. And that actually makes the Kedusha of Beit Knesset very minimal. Because what do you do with a, with a Lulav after you're done using it? You throw it out. So according to the Ramban, the only question of the Kedusha of Ashul is who gets to decide whether you're done using it or not. But once you're done using it, it loses its status. Very much not like the sense of intrinsic Kedusha, which I think more is the more simple sense of the discussions we're going to see. The Ran has a different explanation. The Ran says it is not because of, of a Tashmishe mitzvah like Lulav. It is because you say in the show, he still connects it to Tefillah, interestingly, and not Torah, because you say in the show, Dvarim Shadik Kedusha. So since we say we had that idea before of Dvarim Shebikdusha and you need ten people and so on, right, Kadosh, 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 the fact that it's connected to Gidusha through the Dvarim Shebikdusha that are said is what gives it Kedusha, right? Because according to the Ramban, if I just had a private house which I designated as my, as my little, you know, house where I go to Davin B'Yechidus, it would have maybe the same Kedusha. It's Tashmishe Mitzvah. Okay? Whereas according to the Ran, the Ran, he says, no, it's because it's a, if you use it for a Minyan and you say Dvarim the third explanation is that it's patterned after the Beit HaMikdash. The same way we have an idea of Kedushah of the Beit HaMikdash, and Chazal understand that a Beit Knesset is a Mikdash Ma'at, rabbinically, they gave it some type of quasi-Kedushah to parallel that of the Beit HaMikdash. So one theme we're going to be looking at is Kedushah Beit HaKneset. Again, I would argue in the Mishnah, it's all related to the Sefer Torah which is, and just expanding circles around the Sefer Torah, but you have other approaches, this more standard approach is to focus it on Tefillah with three ways of looking at it. Tashmishe Mitzvah, Dvarim Shadik Dusha, and the Beit HaKnesset type of model. Beit type of model, yes. Well, the big difference would be, it's coming from the Sefer Torah versus other things, like Tashmishe Dusha, that would be Beit Midrash. Right, excellent. We're going to get to that, although that has other sources of Kedusha, the, the learned Torah as opposed to the Sefer Torah. But just like a little then, then, you know, the Ramban read is a very mm-hmm. difficult read. Because then you, just, you should be able to tell anything. Exactly, exactly. The Ramban's read is a difficult read, yes. Right. Here, where you've actually done it, uh-huh. They, they, there's a counterweight. Oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah, that's an interesting point. If you see the Kedushah as sourced in the Mikdash, it's pointing out in the other direction. As opposed to what, what I was suggesting, which is the Kedushah here is connected to the Torah, the Sefer Torah. I'm it is connected to the Torah. Oh, but you mean that says that's the counterweight. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. Abandon the other idea. Right. 
Good. Okay. So, aval imachu Torah lo yichu svarim svarim lo yichu matpechot matpechot lo yichu teva teva lo yichu bet knesset bet knesset lo yichu etarachov v'chein. Okay. So that's don't go in the opposite order. Of course, leaving the big question of the more normal thing you would do if you're selling a teva is buy another teva, right? Sell a show. You buy another show. So it would seem, and some stories in the Gemara, it actually seems that that's okay. Although, there's one particular passage in the Gemara that sounds like you can only go up and you can't stay even. So that's a big unanswered question that the Rishonim deal with. And the last line here is, which is Michael's question. Any leftover money also has to go to the same purpose. So even if you went ahead and you sold your teva and you bought matrechot and you had $1,000 left over, you have to use that leftover money for other things that you'll use in the future for going up. You can't say that, oh, it's just the difference and then I can apply the difference to something else. What? Exactly. Well, that's certainly not. Yes. There's a a lack of flexibility here. Over the centuries, obviously, there have been all kinds of different uh, modes in which Jewish communities had to move or wander or whatever. And I wonder if the context of the the Babli was somewhat or the Mishnah different. right was different. Yeah, was different so that's a good point right to have all these restrictions is pretty right assumes like a stability and the right so that's a good point we will see in the Bible and it actually introduces Brito so it's not just in the in the in the uh, you know time of the Gemara that there are outs to this there are ways in which you can actually if you have enough of the community behind it as the full then you can actually have a lot more latitude of what you do so but it's a good point to even lay this type of down certainly you know assumes a, a great deal of stability. So I'd have to look. I don't remember offhand, but that's a very good question. Okay, so let's take a look at the Gemara. This This is the Stam uh, author of our Mishnah is Rabbi Nachman Yosi. Now, where does he get that from? So Rashi tells you it's an explicit Tosefta where he says exactly this, Rabbi Nachman Yosi. The, the public square has no Kiddushah and here you get explicitly right the Mishnah did not say the word Kiddushah it just said you go up you don't go down it didn't say the word Kiddushah but that's clearly going to be the theme of all of this um, in the way the Gemara understands it and the city does not have any Kiddushah and the city the, 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 the public square from Menachem Yosi my time why does he say it does as we learned the people daven in it in the Ta'anit and the Ma'amadot now Ma'amadot is questionable because there's no evidence that in the Ma'amadot they daven in the square Tosos crosses off the word the Ramban says it was just thrown in because Taniyot and Ma'amadot usually go together Rashi tries to find a way in which people who came gathered together for the Ma'amadot would sleep in the public square anyway the real focus is the Taniyot since you would go there in the Taniyot and have this public prayer for Abonan and the rabbis would say back who are cry Ba'oma that's not really its identity so once in a blue moon you use it for public prayer that doesn't mean that it has Kiddushah that doesn't give it any particular status. Okay, which is an, again an interesting question, right? Of things identity and what happens when they're used occasionally for certain purposes um, and so on. If you sell the show you can buy the, an ark um, or a bima I should say rather 
Amar Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmanim Rabbi Yonasan Lo Shanu Ladeit Knesset Shel Kisarim And here we get to the interesting question of who owns it. This is only true by a show of the villagers. Ladeit Knesset Shel Krachim or but a show of a large city Kivan Deme Alma Asule Since people come you know a lot of people go to the big cities right? I mean you always have people coming from outside the city so people come to the city from outside Lo the people cannot sell it. Why? Because it really does not belong to the city. It belongs to the broader community, the masses. Now, interesting question. What does that mean? Just because... Just because right. So, that, so if you take a look at Tosos, there are two basic interpretations in the Rishonim. One is, if it's used by the masses, we assume that they also are contributors to it. Um, and interesting in terms of what we find in various inscriptions in, in ancient synagogues about also like, you know, very uh, of uh, dignitaries and politicians, whatever, contributing to the synagogues. And the other question is, maybe even if they didn't contribute to it, but maybe it was just made to serve them and that actually makes them part owners. So if you take a look at Tosfos, since, you know, a majority of people go there to Providence, even if they haven't contributed at all, like everybody who goes to a show and nobody decides to become a member, right? So that just goes to show you no good deed goes unpunished, right? Since you knew that it was going to be coming from people all around, not necessarily people who live in Manhattan, right? Everybody davens in this show, so it was made for them in mind, therefore they are considered, right, part owners of it. Like if you think about a board, right, the board of a show, you know, which has the rights of it isn't because they necessarily have a, the, the people themselves have made a monetary contribution to the show. So presumably the owners here are understood not necessarily in the sense of who paid for it, but whose show is it in the practical de facto type of a sense, or for whom it was made. What did you say? Like <laughs> <laughs> so No, the assumption is, is that it's only because people, other outsiders contribute to it and therefore it's considered to be owned by everyone and not just by the city. So let's take a look back at the Gemara. Right. Like, like, ah, so let's take a look at the next area of the Gemara. Amar Ravashi, the synagogue in Masmachasya, Avil Gav de Alma Asula, even though people come from outside Side of the city and daven in it, we get a lot of outsiders in the show. They're coming because of me. I'm the you know I'm the person in the show that they all are, want to come. So they are, here we actually have a case where the rabbi was a central figure in the show. Also, a question about Bavel's posterity. So anyway, here he says they're all coming not because of, of the show. They're coming because of me. So if I want to, I can sell it. Okay. So what does that mean? Does it mean that I'm a private owner? And therefore, I do not, you know, it's not a case where they actually con- contribute to it monetarily, even though they visit it. Does it mean that, um, that even if they did contribute to it and so on, you know, I, in the end, since they sort of see me as the, you know, as the, I'm seen as the person whose shul it is. So implicitly, they sort of, you know, the same way we could implicitly have owners of the Rabin, even if nobody contributed because it's made for them, this type of place is made with an understanding that Ravashi, is that who it was, Ravashi? Um, there was Ashi was, it was made for him ultimately it's his show to do with it what he wants again not exactly clear here how ownership is, is being defined um, again, it doesn't necessarily mean he owns it right but it might mean that he's the one that's empowered to make the decisions um, and the same as the issue of the Robin they might not contribute to it but if it's made for them they're the ones that are implicitly empowered to make the decisions right because there are significant limitations on 
Exactly. Exactly. So the idea of a board is a good is a good parallel, right? A board can't sell a show and pocket the money, right? They just have the they just empower to decide what to do with it. So exactly that. So you might have Rabim or Rav Ashi being the authorities without the ones that actually have contributed to it, um, and that but seems to be what the person owns it. I can own I can own the shul. Let the rabbi all right, like someone right. burn into a shul. Then you bring in a rabbi. Right. And you get a whole kilo. Right. So that's true. That's true. None of these have yet dealt with the case of a really privately owned yeah. show. Okay. So let's take a look. Maybe I'll ask you on this. I'm going to review the Maiseh Beveta Knesset Shel Tursim, and now maybe we'll get something closer to that. There's a story of the synagogue of uh, 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 copper smelters, Chayibu Shalayim, right? What do they have there, like in the, the city? They have the garment workers synagogue or whatever, right? You have these, like, little guild shows, right? Chayibu um, Shalayim, Shemachul Rabbi Eliezer. They sold it to Rabbi Eliezer. Rasabu called Shrochaf, and he did what he wanted to. So, first of all, you have the question of using the show once it was sold for other purposes which is what we'll get to in a later discussion although it keeps on intruding here but the other thing you get is that here it was a, in, a, in, a, in a city it was in Yerushalayim Rasen Dekrochim Havi was in a city and how could it be that they sold it you're not supposed to be empowered to sell it if you're in a city it's supposed to be owned by everyone so the says no that was a, a small little show the Inu of Duan they did it so it wasn't really a public show so what does that mean? Does it mean, like Michael said, that it was seen as a private venture with a very small group that contributed? Does it mean nobody else came to it? Or does it mean even when other people came to it, it was still very much seen in a private sense as opposed to a public sense? Right? Because if you have a small group of people and they made a small little show, even when somebody is visiting, they don't feel that, you know, it doesn't have the sense of a public show. It's somebody visiting a private show. So again, interesting questions of its identity and is it all focused, uh, a question of like who paid for it or who owns it or how it's or how it's sort of you know how it's seen as private or as public um, okay so now the Gemara you know goes on Maysay I'll ask you this idea that if it's considered to be pu- that a synagogue in a uh, in a city is considered to be a public uh, you know good or a public whatever uh, you know publicly owned it says I will give Sarat in a house of your land of inheritance. Only places that are really uh, inherited, meaning divided up by the tribes, um, are, um, are, can become Tamei bin Gaim, but Yerushalayim is sort of seen as a capital city and therefore not owned by any particular tribe, and therefore you don't have an Achuzah in it, um, and the houses do not become Tamei bin Gaim. Um, I'm a Rebbe Yehuda. No. Yerushalayim is Metam. The houses are Metam. If there's one thing that is public and that is not seen as private property, that would be the base of Mikdash, not the whole city of Yerushalayim. So the Gemara says, uh, According to Rebbe Yehuda, who you know, feels Yerushalayim is private property and only the Mikdash is public property, presumably only the Mikdash, but a synagogue and and study halls, interesting. We're going to get to the study hall discussion. We haven't, you know, first we're hearing about that. The timing would become Tamei. It is considered private. Am I? Why does it fit with your argument? That's part of a city, and therefore something like a synagogue should be considered public. So, Ema, all right, you have to re- switch the words. So, not only Makom Mikdash, which is really the one place the base on Mikdash, we're going to say sanctified places. Places like base on Mikdash, synagogues, but they, you know, base Medrash. So, that's quite a reread of Rabbi Yehuda. 
All right. Anyway, so there is some evidence, right? The Gemara is insisting because of the statement of Rabbi Yonasan that, that in cities it's different, it's publicly owned, but a lot of evidence is pointing against it. But the Gemara is continuing to insist about this idea that in cities it is considered publicly owned and you do not have rights to, to, to sell it. Um, now, getting back to this debate of um, can ha- what's the status of Jerusalem, so what do they argue? Tanakama Savarlo, Nitchalka Yushalayim Lushvakim. Yushalayim was never divided and given into one Shevet Nachla. It's owned by the entire people. It's not in one Shevet. For Yehuda Savar, Nitchalka Yushalayim Lushvakim, it was in one Shevet Nachla. Which reflects the following debate of Tanayim. Tiny put in Baisa, Maya Bakoko Sho Yudah, what fell in the portion of Yudah, Harabayat, the Temple Mount, Halishko the Hazarot, the chambers and the Azarot, right? Ezra Israel is Ratnashim Ezrat Kohanim. Umaya Bakoko Sha Binyamin, what was in Benjamin's Khalek? Binyamin and Yehuda their sort of portion split in down the middle of Yerushalayim. Right? Yerushalayim was split between the two portions, and the split happened on Harabayat. So what was in Binyamin's portion? Ulam the Hechal Bez Kachek Hatashim. The Ulam the room before, you know, the basically again to remind you here. Here you have your harabayas, okay? Here you have your mixtash. So your mixtash sort of anyway, we'll, we'll we'll do a two type maximum. What happened? All of a sudden my marker's not working again. Anyway, okay. So here you have the Ezrat Nashim, right? Here you've got these sort of chambers around and you have the various Mishaot around here. Here you've got the Ezrat Israel, right? Then you've got the sort of, you know, Ezrat Kohanim here. Here's the the Mizbeah, right? And then there's the Ulam the Heichal, right, and the, right, the here, right? So there you go. Anyway, um, I got the, uh, I got the that first. Okay. Anyway. Okay, okay. So, basically, Yehuda gets, you know, the Azarot, right, this area, the Harabayas, okay, the Azarot, right, and the, and the Binyamin gets the Ulam, the Heichal, and the Dvina. What about the place smack in the middle where you've got the Mizbeah? Okay, so let's take a look. So it says, um, um, okay, and one strip came out of Yehuda's portion and went into Binyamin's portion, and the, and the altar was built on it. Now, according to other sources, it makes it sound like he got the whole Mizbeach, but according to other sources, Yehuda only got like, like this side of the Mizbeach like a little bit of the east side, or maybe even the east corner of the Mizbeach, and actually that's why um, there was not a so there was not the final protrusion at the very bottom um, on the east side, because the idea was the Mizbeach all had to be in Binyamin's Chelek. So Yehuda got like the, right up to the Mizbeach, cutting into the ground it would be in, a little, a little bit of a strip. Um, Okay. And every day Binyamin would be anguished over the fact that he would not have the whole space of the Mizbeach. Um, and he wanted to swallow it. He wanted to absorb it into his portion. It says, hovering over, over it the whole day. Because he wants this, right? And because he was so desirous to have it, you know, the Mizbeach the, the, uh, the and his portion, Binyamin merited and became the sort of, uh, you know, the uh, host of the Shekhinah because the, uh, the Kodesh Kodeshim was in his portion. Okay, so that's a whole fascinating thing that could be completely unpacked. You could, yeah, do a lot of unpacking of that. But anyway, it was Nitchalka Lishvatim. The Haitana Sava, the other one holds, it wasn't divided by the tribes. The time we taught him Brysa, 
People cannot rent out houses in Jerusalem to the visitors on the Regalim because in the end they're not really the owners. Now, I've got to tell you, that's not necessarily assumed by Nitzchakolushvatim. doesn't mean there's no such thing as private ownership. could be that there's private ownership, but it doesn't belong in any one particular shave that's portion. This is going even further with this idea of like, you know, the sense of like the Beit HaKneset, which is owned by the Rabin. So it's not just, it's now one person. So there's not even real private ownership. All of Yushalayim is owned by all of Kla Yisrael. And if you happen to own a house, you're not really owning a house. You're really, I don't know, renting it in perpetuity from Kla Yisrael. But event, really, it's all, you don't, no private ownership in Yushalayim. It's all owned by Kla Yisrael. So therefore, when Kla Yisrael comes up for the regal, you're not allowed to charge. It's Kla Yisrael's houses, and there will see an assumption that you don't own it, you know, in, in, you, know you don't have rights um, to prevent people from staying in your house when they're Olo the regal. Okay, yes? Yes? So this concept of divide in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. does it have... Um, Economic well, yes, here's where we're just saying. That's what I said. Until this line, you would have thought that it's... At the right. Oh, well, yeah, for issues like uh, Yovel, right? I mean, you know, and how things are hoser be Yovel, so if it belonged to a Shevet, then it all sort of goes back. If this is, even if it were private ownership, if it wasn't Nitzchakol Shvatim, I don't think you'd have the whole ideas of Yovel, which are ultimately based on that, like, original Nachala and the identity of the Shevet and so on. According to the first opinion, now we're at the position of Loni Chalkalishwakim. That's the debate, right? But yeah, but the Gemara does seem to take this to the point that it's not just about Shvakim, but it's about no private ownership. Let's just read one more line and end with that. You can't even rent them beds. Okay, I'm not going to rent you for the room, but I'll charge you for the bed. The bed is mine. The bed is, uh, right, is, is cattle. It's not real estate. So he says, no, you can't even charge for the bed. Why? Because whose property is the bed on, right? So you don't have real rights to charge me for the bed. I'm not taking the bed out and carrying it on my back, uh, you know? So it's here sitting on this ground. This ground is my ground too. So you can't really charge me for the bed. Um, with Seacock, but therefore you can't charge him for anything. What? All right, well, if you can't charge him for anything, that when you go to Yerushalayim and you bring your korban, you're left with over, what are you left with? The, uh, the, the, the skin of the animal, which is a leather, which is very expensive. So basically I can say, okay, fine, you're not getting charged, but you're leaving me the skin of your korbanot, the leather of your korbanot, and therefore you can even forcibly demand that gift. We're not going to leave the owners completely without any compensation. Amar Abaye said Abaye Shmamina we hear from this we hear from this that it's courtesy for a person to leave like you know uh, uh, leather and, uh, and a, 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 a jug in his uh, in, you know in the host house so as opposed to our practice uh, not ours people's practice which is that you take like the robe from the <laughs> from the hotel room here you leave your robe and you leave your stuff in the hotel room okay to be to continue tomorrow Thank you.